0: We put out an email to a listserv of 100 contacts, folks who were no more than one degree of separation away from each of us. And we would have been happy if 20 to 30 people showed up. And in that first event in September of 2018, we had 120 educators of color show up to that event. Wow. And it was both inspiring, validating, and the proof point that we needed to continue. We kept hearing from folks in that space and beyond how necessary of a respite it was and how we wanted to build upon it. That sparked this year four journey of ours into the nonprofit world and supporting educators of color directly, but also schools and districts in developing their equity-centered hiring and retention practices.
1: Welcome to Season 5 of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. So This season, we're rotating hosts, so you get to meet different members of the Teacher Collaborative team. My name is Maria Fenwick, and I'm the founder and executive director at the Teacher Collaborative. In season five, we're going to focus on change makers. We'll hear from teachers who have led change and hear in their own voices how they navigated the ups and downs of doing things differently. So I'm excited today to be joined by Devin Morris, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Teachers Lounge. So welcome, Devin.
0: Thank you so much for having me,
1: Maria and also Shante Alves, who is a K-1 or pre-kindergarten teacher in the Boston Public Schools at the Young Achievers K-8 Math and Science Pilot School. Shante has the great honor of having been the co-host of season two of our podcast as well. Great to see you, Shante. Thanks, Maria.
2: Great to be back.
1: So let's start off. I really want to talk about this theme of change and Devin, I'd love to hear sort of your founding story. How did you come to know that the Teacher's Lounge is something that you needed to start?
0: So the quick background is the Teacher's Lounge is a nonprofit seeking to recruit, revitalize, and retain educators of color in the greater Boston area and beyond. And so our origin story was a Jabari Petty my co-founder and myself, it was both a personal and professional journey that we entered into out of both personal and professional needs. We were both New York transplants here sort of looking for our collective, but also professionally, we were trying to hire a more diverse teacher workforce as both being school administrators. And we were tired of being told that we didn't exist in the profession. And what happened was that we knew we had within our personal and professional networks interacted with educators of color across the Commonwealth in other spaces, but there was no home base for us. What started as a proof point, we wanted to prove that we existed both in the profession, but in the state, we decided to host our very first social and professional networking event. This was back in September of 2018. We put out an email to a listserv of 100 contacts, folks who were no more than one degree of separation away from each of us. And we would have been happy if 20 to 30 people showed up. And in that first event in September of 2018, we had 120 educators of color show up to that event. And it was both inspiring, validating, and the proof point that we needed to continue. We kept hearing from folks in that space and beyond how necessary of a respite it was and how we wanted to build upon it. That sparked this year four journey of ours into the nonprofit world and supporting educators of color directly, but also schools and districts in developing their equity-centered hiring and retention practices.
1: That's awesome. I love that. Can you describe a little bit more what that first event was like and what did you hear from other teachers who were there?
0: It was a lot of figuring things out in the first event. The biggest thing that we wanted and that has carried through for all of our events, but specifically in that first one was what we say to folks is if you come here only connecting with the folks you knew beforehand, then you didn't do your job and we didn't do ours everyone hates icebreakers, right? And so we try to make authentic and culture responsive icebreakers that speak to the full identities of educators of color in our collective that are going to get us talking about the work that we are so passionate about, and that can be so taxing for us. And so there are those forced interactions with folks beyond your immediate collective. And then there's always a musical competition of sorts. And so a way to lighten the mood and get competitive juices flowing, but again, trying to broaden our networks on more personal levels beyond our identities as just educators.
1: Shantae, I'd love to hear from you what it was like for you when you first started
2: attending Teacher's Lounge events. Sure. So... Disclaimer, my first Teacher's Lounge event was a collaboration event. So I wasn't able to experience a full-on Teacher's Lounge event. But I will say that that first event, similar to what Devin said, I was surprised to see so many teachers of color in one space in that kind of environment. We weren't doing a professional development. We weren't like networking for jobs. I mean, those conversations were being had. But this was outside on the, I believe it's the Rose Kennedy Greenway, and there was music that... I could relate to and vibe with. There were people that I can introduce myself to. There were educators that I had seen their faces around, but never actually had the time to talk with. It was outside. It was, I believe, August or September. And I was excited because I knew that although I'd been in Boston for about almost 11 years at the time, I had maybe, I could count on two hands, my friends that were also teachers (laughs) and they were also of color. And so I was really excited to go see what the Teacher's Lounge was all about because I had heard about it. I heard that it was fun. I heard that it was real, which is something that I was looking for in Boston, for a space that I could identify with that was real. And also a space where teachers didn't feel like being a teacher was their whole identity, but it was a part of their identity. And that's something that I've recently come into in my own personal life. So I wanted to make sure that the space is where I was attending for fun as a teacher, weren't just speaking to the teacher aspect of me, but were speaking to the fact that I was black, the fact that I was a woman, the fact that I was not from Boston. All of those things were represented at the teacher's lounge event.
1: That's great. I've heard that from a lot of teachers, too, that kind of need to be seen as more than just a teacher. I think that that's so true and I know, you know, particularly for educators of color, it's amazing to be in a space where you are surrounded by other educators of color who are having similar and also sometimes really different experiences. It's such a yeah. rich opportunity to make those connections and make friends and all of that. So Devin, I would love for you to fill in some of the details between hey I have this idea, and hey, I have a full-blown nonprofit. (laughs) So (laughs) can you walk back a little and kind of illustrate for us, how did you get from one place to the other? What did you do exactly?
0: Prayer and burning the midnight oil. We were both at the start of this journey doing a ton of research and trying to prove that this need was out there and that nothing of the sorts existed. And then you reach a point at which you just assume if there's what you consider to be a great idea and that someone's not doing it, that there's a reason that they're not doing it. And so we were in that mindset of just consistently second guessing ourselves and waiting for more and more proof before just doing it. We had some conversations with folks who hit us with the Nike slogan and were like, just do it, like, see what happens in that very first event. And so we did. And we were admittedly coming out of pocket for all of our programming and or asking folks uh, to donate their expertise, to donate their for, uh, by way of having guest speakers. We were asking folks to provide us with reduced rates for any of the services that they provide in terms of catering or in terms of DJs or you name it. And so we didn't love being in that space, but again, we were coming out of pocket in that first year and a half to ensure that we were still providing this service. And our hope through all of that was that there would be folks in the nonprofit space and the donor making space where that recognition would exist. And just to be completely transparent, we joke about this with some of our funders now, but there were a lot of no's early on. I think folks wanted to see the, again, the proof point in what we were doing. And so it wasn't until we were a year and a half in and probably four or five no's to grants that we applied for, or not now's, I should say. It wasn't a no, right? I think you know this well. Those conversations can take a few different reps. And so we... Got a few not now's and then in late twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty, we got our first grant from the Nellie Mae Education Foundation that then allowed us to really boost our programming and beef up our sort of ability for guest speakers, for professional development, for hosting in different venues. And of course, then we hit the pandemic and then shifted mm-hmm. to virtual programming. And you know that the rest of that story, but it really was early on a commitment that went beyond my quote unquote nine to five to ensure that we were able to continue this in those early stages before we got the, that validation or cosign from donors or other trusted partners.
1: Yep. Yep. I think that's true way more often than not that need to Be willing to go out there, make the asks, you know, hey, can you lend this? Can you give me a discounted rate? You know, it's not always comfortable, but it's part of the founding story of so many people. And I think similarly, it's a really good piece of advice to keep in mind that a no is often a not yet. And it does take going back again and again and trying to continue to prove yourself. Often when I'm talking to teachers who have ideas for things they want to do, I find myself saying this rather cheesy line of no one's going to hand you $5,000 and a magic wand and permission. <laughs> like right. you've got to sort of just, you might have one of those three things, but you probably won't have all three. And so you have to kind of just make it work.
0: Yeah. And we see this and Shantae could sp- speak to this better than anyone, but we see this in our schools, this entrepreneurial spirit of teachers saying, okay, we don't have the funds for this thing. I'm going to go out because this is what my students need Mm -hmm. and figure it out, right? Whether it's out of pocket, donors choose, you name it, folks are making it happen. And I think that the biggest asset that we possessed in that initial stage was just the idea that the validation that we were getting from our collective was stronger than any validation or cosign that we were going to get from donors. And so that idea of folks telling us, After that first event, this is so necessary. We need this. And I relate that to what when students are shining in our classes because of a resource that a teacher went out and got for their students. We don't need the validation from others to be able to say that we're going to push forward and we're going to figure out ways to make this
2: happen. And we saw that creativity teaching in the pandemic. Like a lot of teachers, and I wish I could shout out all the teachers I know who were just so creative in the ways they went out, bought things, and made their classroom feel a little less. Bear and just try to make sure that students still had that experience of this is an elementary or an early childhood classroom. And it's still fun and engaging, despite the fact that there are visors in between you and the next student. And it's continuing, like even myself, there are a lot of things that I had to do when we're physically distancing in the classroom, like buying individual sand. I was like, oh, this goes much better when they can all play at a table together and have their own sand and be um, supportive of each other this way versus a big tub of sand that was getting all over the floor. And so speaking to what Devin said, your creativity or your entrepreneurial side comes out when you realize that there's something lacking. And that's what we were forced to do in the pandemic. That we're still in, by the way, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So we've talked a little bit about this. Devin and Shante, you've both described sort of the need for the teacher's lounge and what it can bring. And you talked about some early success. COVID came along. That was something everyone had to deal with. But I'd love to know more about how you think about success in a nonprofit That's important for funding and things like that, but obviously also we all do the work that we do because we care deeply about it and want to see that change that we were seeking at the beginning. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about how you think about success.
0: So this is one that we talk about often and is ever-changing. I think the things that are not changing on our end is that the student outcomes, student well-being is at the center of why we're doing what we're doing. The ways in which our proof points, if you will, will be about teacher retention, well-being and satisfaction and growth. It's important for me to separate certain program aspects because each program aspect sort of has different levers that we're paying attention to. And so, From our general programming, monthly programming that happens during the academic calendar, our levers are about overall satisfaction with the programming, return rates. And then year over year, we're looking at, and school leaders and hiring managers don't love to hear this, but it's important to name that we pay attention to whether or not educators of color within our collective are staying in the profession and staying in the state. Don't actually care that they are staying with a specific school. If there's a better opportunity for them somewhere else, then we want them to take that. And we want them to hold the door open on their way out and, and usher the next wave of educators into the space that they're leaving. We're looking at retention rate in the profession and in the state year over year and how much of that can we attribute to that specific component of our programming. We have a hiring portal that we have for hiring managers, as well as candidates of color. And so we're looking at number of postings throughout the year. We're transitioning to a new platform, which is really exciting, that will then allow for educators of color to post their resumes. And so then we start to look more closely compared to where where we've been at hiring rates within our platform. And then last is this component that is new and we're still in the design process, but it's a fellowship for early career educators of color. And what we're attempting to do is create classroom leaders and that's classroom leaders of color. We're seeing what we call the year four fall off. So folks are leaving the profession around year four and whether that's transitioning to leadership positions or transitioning out of the role, we're losing classroom educators of color at at very high clips. This is about providing mentorship and coaching for folks who complete teacher residencies or teacher prep programs after their second year of service where the coaching tends to fall off, that we would provide those additional supports. The, The measurements of success will be about their transition after year four with those provided supports to remain both in the profession and in the state. And so those are the ways in which we've been thinking about sort of proof points for the work that we're doing. It's really important that we have folks like Shantae on our advisory council. And now we're welcoming her to our board, which is really exciting, who are on the ground doing the work and able to bring their lived experiences as educators of color to our decision making, our programming, etc., because the one thing I like to say at all of the tables that I've been invited to recently, because of the role that I'm in, is that I'm too far removed from the classroom to speak for educators of color. I have not taught during a pandemic, if you don't count the work that I'm doing with my four-year-old child at home. <laughs> but uh, I haven't taught during a pandemic. That's an example of the types of experiences that where we've had to adjust some of our programming and adjust some of our expectations in support of educators of color, and we need those voices present at every stage of decision making and data collection, et cetera. And so we've been really blessed to have Shantae be a part of this journey as along with the rest of our advisory council.
2: Shantae, congratulations. That's awesome. I think another example of success to Devin's point and seeing teachers success through the teachers' zones. I can speak to something that happened just last week. So I went to an event that the teachers' zones put on the purpose event, I believe it was, and it was on Zoom. And you went into a breakout room and you met with someone and you talked about your purpose and just things you wanted for the future. And I'm going to shout her out, Sonia. I had this amazing partner in my breakout group. And we were like jokingly talking about how I was coming to her house and I was going to hang out with her. And then I see her like two weeks later at an event last week. And I'm sure, I don't know if Devin noticed, but I walked up to her and I was like, You were in my breakout room at the teacher's lounge event. I'm coming to your house. What's your number? I would have never done that because I would not have known who she was. I might have said hi and, you know, welcome to the event or or what do you do? But because I met her through the teacher's lounge event a couple weeks prior and we had built that safe space with each other, we were talking about things that weren't even on the questions that the teacher's lounge had put out in the breakout rooms. I felt so silly that we forgot to exchange our information, but I felt comfortable to walk up to her and know that I was going to be received almost the same way I had been received virtually. And it was even better because we immediately exchanged information. She was like, all right, now when you come over and she she's just giving me like these little jokes. And I was just like, this is what I've been missing. I've been missing just walking up to someone that I might have connected with somewhere else and saying, Hey, remember me? I remember you let's connect, let's keep this going. And so that was a beautiful moment. And that is what the teachers lounge is about. It's not just about seeing people who look like you but also connecting with people who look like you and then building that network outwards. And so turns out we both work for the same district and we have people that we know in common and it was just a matter of time but that we would connect but the teachers lounge made it happen even faster.
0: These testimonials bring me so much joy. And we always say what often happens, educators of color or BIPOC folk in general, even outside of education, walk into certain spaces and you see familiar faces. You're like, I kind of know you. You give the awkward head nod, the obligatory head nod, but then you sort of go about your day. And it's these moments where it's, again, social and professional networking that happen both in those spaces, but then in the other spaces that Jabari and I noted that we would always see folks, but didn't quite know what those connections were. So we love hearing them. We have not found a way to bottle up those lightning bolts as proof points also. But I think that every time someone tells us about them, they then go on to say how it impacted them personally or professionally in ways that then help them push through, whether that's in the moment, whether that's professionally, whether that's a tough point at work, whatever the case may be. And so we love hearing those stories.
1: I'd love to just know from both of you, Devin as the executive director, Shantae as a brand new board member. What's next for you? What's next for the teachers lounge?
0: Yeah, the million dollar question. And and quite literally as we think about <laughs> sort so of true. funding for the next few <laughs> years. So I named our fellowship is the next big initiative, but I think we're most excited about bringing new team members on board, bringing on and and onboarding new board members so that we can continue to increase our reach and impact across the Commonwealth. Those are the big things. But then if we had way more time, I would love to actually just uh, brag more about the work that Shantae does. Her resume is so incredibly strong, but particularly with regard to teacher advocacy, And so this is a new space that the Teachers Lounge has entered into and oftentimes in partnership directly alongside you, Maria, and the Teacher Collaborative, but a number of orgs who are looking to impact change at the Big P policy level. I think in addition to the fellowship, I would say that we are constantly looking for our ways to make tangible and bite-sized asks of educators, right? So here's how we're pouring into our collective of educators of color, simply for the sake of your betterment, your sustainability in this work, your well-being. At the same time, figuring out ways that we can say, here's one small way that you can also get involved in impact change beyond your building, beyond your four walls, that's going to greatly impact students and educators across the Commonwealth. It's something that's always in the back of my mind, the ways in which we can start to think about collective accountability.
2: I think what Devin said, I agree with a thousand percent that starting that support earlier on for educators before they're starting to have those doubts or those wonderings, is this really for me? I've been doing this three years, four years, and I'm tired. I'm burnt out. What else can I do? This new fellowship that the Teacher's Lounge is piloting speaks to me because I was that teacher in year three, year four, thinking I want to do more. This is a lot. I don't feel like I was adequately prepared for this. And that is for numerous reasons. And I need to figure out, do I need to leave the classroom or is there a space for me as a black woman educator where I can use my voice to make some change? And so that's where I joined a teacher policy fellowship here in Massachusetts, t And I started using my voice. I started speaking at school committee meetings because of the confidence I built in that fellowship. And I'm speaking tomorrow night at school committee and testifying because of the years of experience that I've received working with a fellowship that's like, hey, you have experience, you have a voice, your experience is valid. Use it in this way and it might help you feel a little bit better about the work you're doing within the classroom because as a teacher or for educators out there, sometimes it can feel like where is the reward if it doesn't really show up till May, June when the assessments come out or the final product of the year comes out. But throughout the year, you see so much and you just keep walking through the halls, keep teaching, keep contacting families. But there's more to the profession than just families and students. There's also you. And so for me, I needed something where I could also advocate for me, not just my students and my families. And that's what the fellowship did for me. So I'm excited to see teacher zones specifically target educators of color and give them this opportunity as well, because I know it helps me stay in the profession and I can only imagine what it will do now, especially coming through a pandemic and teaching in the ways that we've been teaching the last couple of years.
1: That's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Huge shout out for everything that you guys are doing, your whole team. I'm so happy that Teacher's Lounge is here on the scene with us and growing alongside us. And I just think you guys are doing great things and I can't wait to see what happens next.
0: It's really important to note the part of the story that I didn't tell earlier when we talked about funding and all of those things is long before anyone government officials selected and viewed us as a C3, it took uh, fiscal sponsorship from the teacher collaborative to even ensure that we were able to collect grant dollars to be able to do the programming that we needed to do in support of educators of color. When there were a bunch of no's, you find those yeses to hold on to and folks who are supportive of this work during that time period for us. And that was so pivotal was both our educators of color and allies outside of this work. So it's why we always say teachers of color and friends. And those friends are BIPOC folks outside of education. They are our white educator allies, as well as many others. We would not be here if it were not for the support of the Teacher Collaborative early on in this process. And so thank you, Maria, and the Teacher Collaborative team.
1: Thanks, Deb. I actually kind of forgot about that, which is funny, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that long ago, but... (laughs) (laughs)
2: It feels like a real long time ago, huh? (laughs)
1: It
2: It also has to be said that Teachers Collaborative was always about collaboration. And I saw that last week at the event I attended where I saw three staples in my career, my professional and personal, all in one space. So that was Teach Plus, the Teachers Collaborative, and the Teachers Lounge on networking at the BU Wheelock event last week. And so that just speaks to Not just the growth, but also the commitment to the mission, collaboration, educators and friends, and policy all in one space. So it was great.
1: Well, we were happy to do that for you, obviously. And that's something that we think is so important is that when people have a good idea, like you said, holding the door open for whoever is next and making it just a little bit easier and a little bit better each time for people who have really good ideas in our space. And so I'm happy that we could do that for you. And I know that you will keep doing that for more people. So... Absolutely. Well, it was so great to talk to both of you today. Thank you so much for joining me, both Devin and Shante.
0: Thank you for
2: having us. Thank you for having us, Maria.
1: Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. You can learn more about The Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media at The Teacher Collab. That's Collab with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guests and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy every day. Thanks to teacher Ben Truba for our theme music, the Dusty Pencil Sharpener, and thanks to our amazing producer, Mijan Zulu, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast and creating additional music.